chapter of the Gospel of John. Today marks the seventh in a series of sermons that we're preaching to you from this entire chapter. John's Gospel, chapter number 17. We gave you at the beginning of the series a simple outline I hope will assist you and help you in your study of God's Word, especially in this particular section of God's Word. That outline is Christ prays for himself, verses 1 through 8. Christ prays for himself. Second of all, Christ prays for his disciples, particularly his apostles, in verses 9 through 19. And then number three, Christ prays for future believers, those who will come to know Christ through the ministry of the word, verses 20 through 26. Now then, since we're coming close to closing out the first section, Christ prays for himself, I think it'd be good for us to go back to verse 1 and read down through verse number 8. John 17, verses 1 through 8. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they've kept thy word. Now we come to verses 7 and 8, which will be our text for today. Now, they've known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I've given unto them thy words, or the words which thou gavest me, And they have received them and have surely known or known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. Two very important teachers, naturally speaking, are repetition and review. Repetition and review. How many parents have found this to be true? in instructing their children, not just one time about a thing, but over and over and over again. And then just not repetition, but reviewing after a while. It begins to sink in. Last week we covered verse number 6. This is a verse that is distinctly divided into three parts. Verse 6. What the Son has done what the Father has done, and what the believer has done. Here's where the review comes in. What the Son has done. He says in verse 6, I have manifested 
thy name. And when he speaks of the Father's name, he's talking about who God is, the attributes of God, the thing that makes God different from all the other so-called gods of the world. I have manifested thy name. This is what the Son has done. Number one, Christ demonstrated the love of God by his miracles. We pointed out an example of Lazarus when he came down to Bethany and said, Lazarus, come forth, and he did it with a command of love. Christ demonstrated the wrath of God by casting out the money changers in the temple. Thirdly, Christ demonstrated the holiness of God by the curse on the cross. When Christ was made a curse for us, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The reason the Father forsook the Son is because God Almighty is a God of absolute holiness. God never compromises. Christ also demonstrated the grace of God by saving a thief on the cross. Both of those thieves should have died and gone to perdition. But the Lord had mercy and grace on one of them and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And again, Christ demonstrated the power of God when he calmed the seas. This is what God the Father is like. Jesus Christ came to show us what God the Father is like. And he so vividly demonstrated it during his first three years of his ministry. Second of all, verse 6 says to us what the Father has done. Not just what the Son has done, but what the Father has done. I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me. Somebody gave somebody to somebody. And the Father gave something to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the elect. He did not give all men to his Son, but he gave some men those which thou gavest me, some men out of the human race. They belonged to the Father before they were given to the Son. Again, I repeat, they belonged to the Father before they were given to the Son. They were claimed by the Father before they were ever saved. They were elected by the Father. They were chosen by the Father. Does not Matthew one twenty one says about Christ, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And they were his people before they were ever saved. How do we know that? Because the Father had given them unto the Son. That's what the Father has done. And they were not given to Christ after his incarnation, not after he came the first time to this world, but before the worlds were ever established. The Father gave the elect unto the Son in Ephesians 1.4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, dear church, election does not mean foreseen faith. 
Election does not mean foreseen faith. There are some Arminians who try to explain this by saying, well, God looked down before man was ever made, and God knew who he was going to make. And out of those that God would make, he knew once they heard the gospel, they would accept Christ as their Savior, and they would make their decision. Therefore, God based his election on their foreseen faith. Election is not based on foreseen faith, nor is it based uh, based upon foreseen potential. I can assure you that when God looked down, he didn't pick out a certain group of people. You know, I believe he'd make me a good servant. I, this old boy over here, he's going to have a lot of talent. And so I'm going to choose the, 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 the best part of the election. No, he did not do that at all. It means that God based election on his sovereign love. Want to know where the Bible teaches it? Romans chapter number 9, verses 10 and following. You might want to look at that. You might change your mind a little bit. Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 18. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob have I loved But Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy. Are you listening to this? He said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will he hardeneth. Election is based on God's sovereign love. Now, if you really want to know what God saw when he looked down, first of all, he doesn't have to look down to see anything. He already knows everything, and he sees everything all at the same time. But if you want to know what God saw what, when he viewed humanity on this earth, turn over to Psalm 14, verses 2 through 3. Psalm 14, verses 2 through 3. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Now, what's his purpose for looking down? To see if there's anybody that understood anything. And if there was just one, two, or a handful that would seek God. What did he find out? Verse 3. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not 
one. Not as little as one single man has ever been elected based on free will. No person has ever been elected on human works or decisionism because they made their decision for Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verses 27 through 29. That's a good one. You better turn to it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verses 27 through 29. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. He's chosen the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Don't go strutting around talking about your faith and talking about your decision and how you gave good old God a chance to do something for you. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. In our present study, well, let me finish this third thing here, what the believer's done, what the Father has done, what the Son has done, what the believer's done. Verse 6 says, they've kept thy word. They, the chosen ones, have kept thy word. The believer submits to the will of God and is obedient to the word of God. How many times have we used as an illustration the Apostle Paul who was... He was stuck on himself until God knocked him off the horse on the road to Damascus. And from that point on, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? They have kept thy word. As we mentioned last week, obedience is an earmark of the sheep. According to John ten twenty seven, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And if they don't follow him, they're not sheep. Oh, you say, well, Brother goes on, I've been saved for a hundred years. If they don't follow him, they're not sheep. They hear his voice and they follow him. Now, in our present study, we want to carefully look at verses 7 through 8 of this 17th of John. Verses 7 and 8. For I've given unto them the words which thou gavest me. They have received them and have surely known that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. Verses 7 and 8. They've known all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. It begins with a little three-letter word that's very important. Now. And there's a time element in that word now. What he's saying is finally. 
after a long time of praying and working with the people and teaching them the Word of God, now, now they have known. They have known now. You know, sheep are very dumb animals. They really are. Sheep are very dumb animals. They must be slowly taught. Our Lord had been teaching them for three years how dumb those first disciples were. Our Lord patiently instructed them in truth and corrected their errors and now, now they finally got hold of it. Now, it takes time, doesn't it? To unteach us before he can teach us. Have you ever thought about the religious garbage that we carry around with us? And one of the tenets of religious garbage is what mom and daddy always believed. Now, that's all right if they had been saved by the grace of God. But mom and daddy might be in hell. Just because mom and daddy taught it doesn't mean anything unless they taught the word of God. Now they have known. I had been preaching for 30 years because I classify myself as a dumb disciple. I had been preaching for 30 years before I ever came to know the doctrines of grace in 1983. I don't know how the Lord did without me. For 30 years, I preached as an Arminian. And I told my congregation, if you'll take the first step, God will take the rest of them. Little did I know that if God doesn't take the step, it'll never be taken. I had to learn that. And it took an awful long time. I used to believe that sheep were converted goats. That sheep were converted goats. And when a goat trusts Christ as Savior, he's no longer a goat, he's a sheep. That's dumb. Goats never become sheep. Lost sheep are lost until they're found sheep by the Lord Jesus Christ. Once a sheep, always a sheep. One of the greatest rewards of a teacher is not an increase in salary but rather to see truth dawn upon the minds of those he teaches. I can so vividly remember many, many times people walked out of my services. They weren't interested in what I had to say, but I taught truth and truth and truth. And after a while, somebody said, I see it. Well, praise God. It's about time, you know. It takes time, my dear friend. You don't wake up a Calvinist. You wake up an Arminian. You wake up a person who believes that salvation depends on what I do with Christ, not what he does with me. All of that garbage has to go. And it can only go as you sit under the teaching of God's Word and you're not going to hear a whole lot of it in Tyler, Texas. This is why pastors should study and prepare. We must give the flock truth over and over and over again.
And then some will leave and revert back to counterfeit truths in Armenian. I've seen that happen before. You know, usually when folks leave a grace church, they don't usually find another grace church. Sometimes they go to an Armenian church. What a tragedy. Others, however, will persevere unto the end. I like that little word, K-N-O-W-N, known. Known. To know with the head is one thing, but to know with the heart is another. A man may come into truth, but it's far better when truth comes into him. Did you get it? Has truth ever come into you? Have you ever said, like I said in Houston, Texas, when I saw this great truth that Jesus Christ laid down his life for his sheep, the light came on. And I wondered, where have I been my whole ministry? And I hot-footed it back from Houston, Texas to Pat Lane Baptist Church. And for the next five Sundays, I said, I want to preach on the grace of God every single Sunday. To find several of those people said, well, we wonder how long it's going to take you. We, 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 we believe in the grace of God. All things, he says, whatsoever thou hast given me. The disciples had come to know and believe that all things the Father possessed had been given to him by the Father. He never claimed originality for it. He always said, this is the Father's will that I do this and do that and do the other. The words he spake and the Father, he, uh, the things that he did were given to him by God the Father. They had come to believe and to know that he was God in the flesh. He was truly Emmanuel, which means God in the flesh. Nicodemus came to know this, did he not? In John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, who came to Jesus by night and said, Master, we know. We really do know that you are a teacher come from God because nobody can do what you do except God be with him. The disciples had to be taught that, that God the Father was with the Son, Jesus Christ. All things that the Father hath given to me to believe and to know that God was in the flesh. What things did the Father give the Son? I have so many things I want to say. Don't have the time in which to say them in this message. I want to rush through it, and I don't like that idea, but I have to. What things did the Father give the Son? He did give the Son something. Now we know that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee we have a right to ask the question, what did the Father give the Son? Number one, he gave him power over all flesh. According to John chapter 17, verse number two, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Power over all flesh. This is true eschatologically. It is also true soteriologically. What do you mean? I mean eschatologically that one day when our Lord returns, he will bring all of his enemies into his submission. That's in Psalm 110, 
verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Watch you saying to the Messiah now. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Well... There is a sense in which Christ rules today because he's a sovereign savior. But there's coming a time when the Lord Jesus is coming as king of kings and lord of lords and will establish a kingdom on this earth and all enemies will bow down before him. He will rule with a rod of iron. So says the word of God. The father gave him that power. Power over all flesh. And soteriologically, in that same reference of Psalm 110, verse number 3, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Ah, that's good, isn't it? Wonderful. Thy people, God's people, shall be willing in the day of thy power. God has to exercise his power over the sinner's power if that sinner ever comes to know Christ. You say, well, isn't that irresistible grace? You're catching on. What things did the Father give the Son? He gave him power over all flesh. Not only did he give him power of all flesh, but he gave him a keen interest in the elect. Jesus Christ loved the people for whom he was dying. He loved them. In John 17, verse number 9. It says this, John 17, verse 9. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. His particular interest in the sheep. Enough to pray for them and enough to die for them. I lay down my life for the sheep. He was given his doctrine and his teaching The things which Christ taught were the things that God the Father gave him to teach before he ever came into this world. He taught, these are the words of the, let me, let me add some security to that. In John 6, 63, Christ said to his disciples, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now listen to John 7, verses 15 through 17. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak it of myself. His doctrine and his teachings even his works and his miracles. In John chapter 10, verses 37 through 38, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. Christ never performed miracles by the power of Satan. Or good luck. It was always by the power of God he performed miracles. 
even the union of two natures. He not only was the God, but he was the God-man. He had a human nature. He had a divine nature. Jesus Christ was the God-man, both God and man in one person. Simon Peter answered correctly in Matthew sixteen sixteen. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. How did they come to know all these things? The Bible is not always an easy book to read. It requires time. It requires study. It requires patience. It requires persistency over and over and over again. How did these disciples come to know all of these things? Only through divine illumination. Divine illumination. Back to Simon Peter. Whom say ye that I the Son of Man am? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. You didn't learn this in the theological seminary. Huh? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He reveals it. He reveals it. What does that verse 8 say? For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and they have surely known that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. There is a fourfold communication of the word of God. Jot this down. There is a fourfold, a fourfold communication of, of the Word of God. It's called spiritual truth. How does God correspond to the human mind with spiritual truth? Okay? There are two reasons for this. Why should He do it? Man is born spiritually dead and therefore can't know anything spiritually. He's dead. The other day I was quite surprised at the snow beginning to come down. Came down for two hours where we live. And I tell you last night it got cold, I think 26 degrees. I like to froze to death last night. And I thought, well, I'll go out to the cemetery and talk to those folk and see how cold they were. You know, they ain't get cold. You know why? Because they're dead. You can't carry on a conversation out there. You may think they talk back to you. If they do, have a talk with me after church, will you? (laughs) Man is born spiritually dead and therefore cannot know anything spiritually. Ephesians 2, 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Truth can only be known by the discernment of the Holy Spirit who teaches it. which raises a very important question, how then is truth communicated? I said it's a fourfold communication. Number one, truth originates from the Father. Truth always originates from the Father. In James 1, verse 17, every good gift 
And every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father. Second of all, truth is passed down through the Son. For the law was given by Moses, John 1.17, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It was Christ who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The third thing is truth is revealed through the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1 verse number 2, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. When Christ spoke, he spoke through the Holy Spirit to the hearts of these disciples without which they could not know spiritual things. And you find it detailed in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. And number four, believers receive them. Do you believe what the Bible says? Do you really believe what the Bible says? Well, I believe parts of it. Which parts don't you believe? And if you hold to that, who made you a judge over what part's right and what part's wrong? Believers receive the truth. You'll never know the truth without receiving the truth. Psalm 119. About the middle of your Bible, you ought to run into Psalm. And 119, look at verse number 9 and following. 119, verse 9. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. With my whole heart, and that's the problem with a lot of us, we read the scripture half-heartedly. We go to church half-heartedly. We pray half-heartedly. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How sweet and precious that is. Verse number 13, With the lips, my lips, have I declared all thy judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes and I will not forget thy word. The word takes precedence over all that we believe and all that we teach, spiritually speaking. The Bible furthermore says that the Bible came from and is the word of God. In Psalm 119, verse number 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. That means founded and established in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It was settled in heaven before it was ever given on earth. It's the word of God. And Psalm 68, verse number 11, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company that published it. And then the latter part of verse number 8 of our text says, They have believed that thou didst send me. They have believed that thou didst send me. The apostles 
had to come to be taught that Christ had been sent by the Father as the Messiah. They had to embrace that. They had to to believe that. Christ asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? There are many diversified answers to that even today. Number one, some did not know. There were some in the multitudes that continued to ask, who is this? I mean, who, who is it? I don't believe I've heard him before. He, he said, Jesus? Jesus, well, where, did he, where was he brought up? Who was he? They don't know. There's a multitude of people that have no earthly idea who Jesus Christ is. They don't know. They don't know. Some thought he was an imposter and a blasphemer among those being the Pharisees. Some thought he was an Old Testament prophet. Some said, well, you may be Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And even the Antichrist denies that he is God. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. And those who reject the truth will be rejected by the Lord. Second John 9 and 10 Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. We have a lot of folk today that talk about, oh, I believe in the the God all right. Listen up. He that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God, whoso transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, Christ hath not God. And you know what? If there come anybody to you and bring not this doctrine, don't receive him into your house and neither bid him Godspeed. I'm not bragging, but that's my greeting to Jehovah's Witnesses. You can't come in my house with that junk. We don't believe that kind of joke. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And for the rest, Oliver Green used to say, sick your dog on him. You say, well, is that nice? Don't care whether it's nice or not. It's right to reject evil and to love truth and to love right. True believers will and do believe that Jesus is the Messiah of God. This is essential to salvation. Any religion falling short of this will burn in hell. The eunuch believed it, did he not? The eunuch said to Philip, Can I be baptized? And Philip answered the eunuch, If you believe with all your heart, You may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
And Philip said, chunk him in, boys. He's ready to be baptized now, huh? Amen? Yes, sir. It is the fruit of regeneration. The fruit of regeneration. In 1 John 5, 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You're not born of God because you believe that Jesus is the Christ. You believe that Jesus is the Christ because you have already been born of God. And that is true. We do not believe to be born again. We believe because we've been born again. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word this morning. Lord willing, we will get into the second division of this great intercessory prayer of Christ. Beginning with verse 9. He prays for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. Let's bow our heads before the Lord, would you please?